You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. on in the series called Piercing the Darkness based on the book of Romans. I'm not necessarily going by every single verse, but I am doing what I call subject matter. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to begin a segment of, of Romans that uh, is somewhat controversial in our culture. It's not controversial to me as a follower of Christ, but in our culture. And it's Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 through verse 32. And uh, I was going to try to preach that whole segment today. I could. I just have to keep you at a one o'clock. So I curtailed it, and I'm only going to be addressing the first five or six verses. I'll do the rest of this next week. So this is uh, setting up that entire passage today. So would you stand for the reading of the word? And we're going to go to Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-three. <clears throat> Let's everybody read it together. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as the word is taught today that it helps us to grow in our faith and our trust in you. I pray, God, that we will not have to experiment with our lives, that we can just trust you and follow your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to have to have a bottle of water here today. I'm nervous today. I'm nervous every week, people, let me tell you that. But anyway, we're going to continue on in this series called Piercing the Darkness. There's a lot of similarities that the, challenge, uh, the, or the challenges that Christians were facing then that we face today. Sometimes some of the new... Uh, ways that our culture has a way of making something a topic or trying to introduce a new value into our culture can make, make us think that we're encountering something new overall. No, you're not. You're just looking at some ways that evil has tried to invent some new methodology, but it's still the same concepts. And we see this all through scripture. And because we don't know the value, sometimes we fail to see how the scripture addresses these challenges. And today, we're gonna, I'm going to spend a little longer on the historical side before I get to the text. And it's important because con everybody, everybody read this part with me. What does it say? Oh, I'm sorry. 
I'm so excited, I'm ready to go, man. What does that say? You've obviously read that before, and it, what it does is it sets us up so that we know that when we know what's being, ha- or what's being said and what's being done, then we can come into today and go, okay, now I'm safe in its application. You take things out of context. You can, you can pretty much get it to in any direction that you want. And here's the thing I want to say. As a follower of Christ, the Bible doesn't need my help to make it work. Okay, I just, if we just do the homework, what's the context, what was being said, how was it being said, we can learn. And another thing that I will just say it this way, until we know what it speaks about back then, we can't know what it speaks about to today. So it's important to go, okay, what was it saying back then, and what, and what, was, the, what was the atmosphere? Then I can come into my day and begin to look at this. So we're going to look at history from a little longer perspective. So I need you to give me a few uh, grace minutes. I'm probably going to take about 10 minutes to do some history. And everybody that loves history said amen. amen. The rest of you, you'll just get over it. So I have to talk a little bit about the momentum that was happening in, first of all, Paul's life. And then the, 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 the emperor of that time was Nero. So I, wanna, I want you to see the momentum that was going on in the apostle Paul's life, and then this momentum that was occurring with Nero. He had now been the uh, emperor for about three years. And so we need to see how these momentums were colliding, because then you understand why Paul was saying what he was saying. So let's, let's go to the history here. After accepting Christ in about 36 AD, the Apostle Paul took a series of missionary trips. Now, some of you may not have ever heard that. It was actually Paul was doing missionary trips. The book of Acts gives us those missionary trips. He just, he, they just didn't use the phraseology. He would, he would make a trek somewhere through the Roman Empire, ministering to churches, come back, debrief, talk about the activity of God with the other apostles that he was experiencing and seeing, and then he would organize another and then go on another missions trip. The first trip happened around 46 AD. Then he took a second trip, and it was around 51 AD. Then he went on a third trip, and it was around 54 AD. Do you see a pattern? Every three years, the apostle Paul wanted to head out. He was on a mission. And let me tell you, this was not a two-week missions trip. You know, where we're going to fly to some part of the world, do two weeks, we jump on the airplane, come back home. No, this, a lot of times he was gone a year and a half, two years minimum, okay, on these trips. And then he would come back, debrief, like I said, share with what was happening, raise some more support, and then venture out again. So he has now been to three different regions of the Roman Empire. Most likely, Paul had never left the Middle East until he accepted Christ. So he's ruled by Rome, but he's never seen the Roman Empire. Three missions trips, he's got a pretty good feel. Oh, this is the Roman Empire. This is what it is like. This is what they're doing. He was able to see the influence of Rome in other cultures. While he, right when he starts his trip, that third one is when Nero comes to power in 54 AD. So what I want to show you then is, What is the momentum of Paul and the momentum of Nero? So three years later, Paul is sitting in Corinth and he writes this book called Romans to the church at Rome. So by now, uh, Nero has been in power about three years. I don't want to talk about his whole reign because it hasn't happened yet. 
I want to talk about the three years that Paul had seen. Paul had gone around and saw the Roman Empire, and now he's in Corinth, and he's starting to see this world leader and the influence that is playing out in every culture in the world. So after 10 years of missionary work in various regions of the Roman Empire, Paul has a pretty unique spiritual insight on what is transpiring. I will say this, he is giving a very accurate picture of what is happening in Roman culture. He's watching it slide, but he also, I believe, in Romans chapter 1, he's also being prophetic. And I'll show that next week because a lot of what he writes hasn't happened yet on a grand scale. He sees it locally, but we'll see that it played out even in Nero's life. And so in some ways, Romans 1 is a picture of what is happening, but on the other hand, it is also a prophecy of what is about to come into the, into the Roman Empire and what's going to happen to all the Christians. Now let me give you a little bit of background about Nero up to that point when Paul wrote Romans. Claudius was Nero's stepfather. He was the previous emperor. And Claudius... Uh, was killed, but before Claudius was killed, Nero married his stepsister. How many can already see the morality is off the charts? Sliding, okay? One year prior, and then his father-in-law, or his father dies. We believe he was poisoned or assassinated. But Nero becomes emperor mainly because of his mother's influence. And he was 16 years old. I want you to get that in your head. He's already shown that he has no morals. He's 16 years old, and now he runs the Roman Empire. How many can already see a slide is on the way? You don't even have to be a prophet to know that. That is just like, this is not going to go good, and it doesn't. So one of the things that even then, at that particular time, that Nero was known for was this. He would disguise himself in the cap of a freedman. Slaves had a cap that when they were free, they could wear a cap, and everybody would leave them alone. They would know that that is not a slave, they are a freeman. The cap would identify them. Nero would sneak out of his palace, put on the cap, so that he would look like a commoner, and he loved to roam the streets like a thug and victimize people for fun. Vandalize, he would physically assault, he even sexually assaulted people and robbed them, and he would go back to the palace. He just loved to do it for kicks. How many can already see this is not going to go well? So this is what this guy is engaged in as a world leader. And uh, in fact, one time, Nero... He was assaulting a woman, and the man's or the woman's husband showed up, and he punched Nero and gave him a black eye. And Nero had to stay in the palace for a few days until his black eye disappeared because he didn't want to say where he got it. Finally, the man saw Nero, and he said, "Oh my goodness, I punched the uh, I, I punched the emperor." And the uh, Nero responded back to him and said, so when you hit me, you knew I was the emperor. That means you should be condemned to death for assaulting me. For assaulting him while he was assaulting his wife. Does that kind of give you an indication of what's come? How many know you don't have to be a prophet to know where this is going? It's bad. It's just bad all the way around. So after Paul wrote the book of Romans, I'll just let you know, in the next few years, Nero ended up uh, killing his first wife, killing his brother, and killing his mother. So you could see that what Paul was writing was very prophetic. 
things were going to get bad. And certainly we know by 64 AD, Rome was burnt to the ground. The Christians got blamed for it. And the slaughter of Christians began because they had been blamed for this. Now, I say all this for this particular reason so that you can understand some of the things that Paul was witnessing in the Roman Empire. After traveling for 10 years, going from city to city to city, he knows the, he can already begin to see the shift with Nero as the new emperor and the morality that is playing out in the common day of culture and all those who are under Roman influence. He's seeing this is not going to go well. And he's giving the Christians a heads up. Be prepared. But I want you to notice something about what Paul writes, and I want you to note what Paul doesn't write. What Paul doesn't write is this. We need to get organized, and we need to go off the grid, and we need to live underground. That's not what Paul said. Paul doesn't say we need to get our protest and organized, and we need to go and protest, and we need to, he didn't say that. Paul did not say we need to get, we need to get a, we need to get a, a military, we need a Christian militia which I don't know how those two words go together. We need to take out, we need to take out Nero before, he didn't say that. All through, the, what you have in the book of Romans is this. Live a godly life. And you've heard me say it before. The most powerful thing we have is how we choose to live our life on a daily basis. Without screaming, without hollering, without threats, without intimidation. No one can stop me from doing good. No one can stop me from doing what's right. They can make it difficult. But if people choose to do what is right, there's not enough surveillance and government oversight to stop the average person from doing the right thing on a daily basis. You can't stop that. Now, it's frustrating because we want results quick. But I'm just telling you, you just stay steady doing what is right. I'm not going to tell you you won't suffer injustice along the way. I'm not going to tell you that life won't get difficult. I'm not telling you that you won't be frustrated at times. But I'm telling you don't give up doing the right thing on a daily basis in the microcosm of each one of our worlds. Don't stop. Because good will triumph. Just stay steady. That's what Paul's telling the Christians in Rome. He says, things are bad. I'm already circulated in Rome. I see it. But this is going to get worse. And his thing is, let me tell you about living a godly life. Don't cave in to the pressures that are going to be coming in your direction. So, number one, read this out loud. Suppressing God's revealed truth with wickedness brings God's wrath. Boy, is that an uncomfortable topic to talk about in a church. Wrath, God's wrath. Everybody wants to hear about God's grace. There is God's grace. You can read the Bible. It's there. But you also read the Bible and it talks about God's wrath. Sometimes when I've mentioned God's wrath, somebody will cut me off in conversation and go, Oh, but we're not under the Old Testament. And I go, I'm talking about Romans 1. You know, there's this, this idea that all God's anger is contained in the Old Testament and we're in the New and God doesn't get angry and God's full of grace and mercy. And he is. He's gracious, he's merciful, but he also has a wrath. They're not competing with one another. They are complementary. And that's a struggle for us because we, want, we all want a Savior who's holding the Lamb. We all want that one, right? 
We don't, we don't even want to conjure up what, a, what God's wrath may even look like. We don't even want to have the conversation. Notice what he says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. I want you to note something. It does not say against all the people who are godless and wickedness. It is against the godlessness and the wickedness of people. Hey, let's, okay, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Does that sound like a God who's just ready to whack you? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that sounds like a God who's pretty hopeful. So how, so you notice it is directed toward the wickedness and the evilness. So God, listen, when we embrace wickedness and godlessness, we get the judgment that God reserved for those acts. God was judging wickedness and godlessness. So when I embrace what he's judging, I get judged. You can't blame God. Listen, we do this, in, this is a common illustrate, it's a common principle even in our culture. Okay? So, we know that there's an illegal drug activity in our country, Right? And so our nation has laws against that, correct? Please tell me you know that. <laughs> if not, I will adjust the sermon today. All right. So there's drugs. Now, as long as I am not a part of those drugs, I do not have to have any fear of judgment from my nation. But once I embrace those drugs, I get judged by the nation, they are judging, the judgment reserved for the drugs now comes on me because I embrace something that they judge. So if I won't embrace it, I won't get judged. Does that make sense? So in one sense, people, they're always after me. No, they're not always after you. It's because of what you embrace. It's already been determined they're going to judge that. And when you embrace it, you get judged. Same thing here. The, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. It's what they embrace that brings judgment. It's what they embrace that brings God's wrath. Because they're, they're, come, they're grabbing things that God says, my wrath is on that. And people go, well, I grabbed it. And then they get mad at God. Well, don't pick it up. <laughs> Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. So again, God is saying here, listen, I'm going to show you that we have something that is very obvious, he says. This is not a mystery. So God's wrath is, a, is revealed in the form of consequences. So many times people are wanting to know, well, where does God's wrath look like? It's the fallout from making wrong decisions. It's the fallout that happens when you embrace stuff that God says, I call that wicked. But you decided to grab it. You decided to embrace it. You decided to make it a lifestyle or a part of your life. And God says when you embrace that, you get judgment that goes with it. 
And so God's wrath, like I said, is against all the godlessness and wickedness. And he says, my truth is plain. But here's the trap that we have to fall in. We have to be careful of. It's this phrase. We must be careful of falling into the trap that says, it can't be true if I don't understand it. You hear this all the time. Almost all of us, well, I will say, all of us, including me, have fell into this trap. We'll read something in the Bible and we'll go, oh my, does God really want me to do that? That doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to have to pray about it and think about it. But until it makes sense, I'm not going to do that. And we act like that's, that's an excuse that God says, okay. Should have explained it better for you. I should have taken more time to lay it out. You know, my, my apologies, I put something in the Bible that didn't make sense to you. It's, I think it's Hezekiah 1.1. Doesn't make sense. Don't, you don't have to obey. By the way, Hezekiah's not a book in the Bible, so just relax. <laughs> but people do that. They, we, we've all done that. We've read it and gone, yeah, it yeah, doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to have to pray about it. And, uh, you know, when, when, when it makes sense, I'll do it. Well, so what, what you have there is this. That's not faith. That's intellect. Faith is when you trust him anyway. When it makes sense and I do that, that's just good common sense. But reading something, and the Bible says, this is what I ought to do, and I'm not doing it, but I don't know why I ought to do it, but I need to do it. Now, I can... Put it on the shelf and wait till I get the clarity. So what I've done is this. If it doesn't make sense to me, I feel like I don't have to obey it. I have just set my intellect up over God's. Hmm. So now we have to make a decision. Who's in charge here, you or him? So this plays out in your daily life. Some of you, you have kids at home, grass needs cut. You say, grass needs cut. Today's your day. Need you to cut. Your child responds with, I didn't make the grass grow. I don't even own the property. I don't understand why I have to care for something that I don't own and I didn't make happen. And you want me to take time to cut grass. And you know, you go, because you live rent free. <laughs> yeah, but I still don't understand it. So in, 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 if, if they were applying some of the principles that Christians do to the Bible, a child could say, because I don't understand it, I don't have to do that. And until it makes sense to me, then I, I'm, I'm relieved the responsibility of cutting the grass. And then as a parent, you do the very thing that you swore you would never do that previous generations have said. You say, well, let me give you the reason you're going to cut the grass. Because I said so. <laughs> and then you go in the other room and go, oh, <laughs> I've just joined my ancestry. Yeah, it doesn't have to make sense. You, listen, you do it because of who told you to do it. Ah. Ah. Did he say to do it? 
did he say not to do it? Am I going to elevate my intellect until it makes sense to me? I'm not obligated. Oh, wow. So what we have really is a, is a, is a man-oriented faith. Now, I thank God that he does explain things to us to help us to have confidence and trust. But let me tell you, there's a lot of things that don't get explained. And you have to make a decision. We're all good with him being Savior. It's him being Lord that we all struggle with. Because the Lord doesn't have to explain himself all the time. And that's where we get uncomfortable. You owe me an explanation. God says, no, I don't. But gratefully, he knows us well enough to explain enough that we can have confidence and assurance and go, you know what? I can give him my trust. There's a lot of things I don't have to ask him anymore. Because he asked me. And that's good enough. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right, number two, read it out loud. God, God's eternal power and divine nature is evident in what God made. So he says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. This is crucial. It says that we can see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, by looking at what he's made. This is key because how you see the world, the paradigm through which you look at the world, determines what we're going to be reading in the next few verses next week. And that's why there is such a suppression on the creation view. Because they know that if you adhere to the creation view, there are so many cultural values that can't be accepted by the masses. So they must address the fact that creation is a myth. And they have an alternative. And that alternative then opens the box so that values and morals are now viewed more as temporary, evolving. There's no eternal right and wrong. Because after all, our world is ever evolving. There's no absolutes to our world. And so that, and God says, no, if you will look at my world, you will see my power and you will see my nature. Now, I had two ways that I could address this today. First of all, I could have gone back to, in Paul's day, and within reason found out what he might have been referring to. What were those qualities that he said was evident to everybody within the, the world that has been created? The second way I could have done this was, let's bring it into today. And how can we look at what is around us and know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that's God's eternal power. There's God's divine nature. And not only are we without excuse, everybody's without excuse because we see all that activity that God has out there. And so I decided to do the second option because this is where we live. How can I know that the world around me, how do I see God's divine power out here? How do I see his nature out here in, in, in the world? How do I see that? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm ready for that today. 
Let me give you a couple things. Let's look at this universe. Traveling at the speed of light, that's 186,281 miles per second. Across the Milky Way, that's the galaxy in which our solar system is located, would take 125,000 light years. So the, the galaxy that planet Earth is in, from one end to the galaxy to the other end, is 125,000 light years. And there are millions of galaxies out there. I don't even think we quantify as a speck of dust in space. It's so astronomical. And here we are. Wow. It, it, if, heaven is out, if, if heaven is in outer space, everybody's going to have plenty of room. Space and urban planning will not be a problem. Wow. All that. And there's millions. Of, our galaxy is 125,000 light years from one end to the other, and there's millions of these galaxies. Wow. Okay. Well, let's bring it down to this. The Earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 6 septillion 588 sextillion tons. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour. You are spinning at 1,000 miles per hour right now. That's why some of you feel dizzy. <laughs> and while it is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, it is circling the sun at 1,000 miles per minute in an orbit of 580 million miles. And it's totally balanced. Have you seen all the trouble that NASA goes to to get a satellite just a couple hundred pounds in orbit and to keep it steady and keep it there? And you got this monstrosity of a rock that you and I called Earth, and it's balanced. And by the way, the other thing I didn't put up there, it tilts. So that, you know, we get winter and then we get summer. And, and then to throw in some bonus material, God said, you think that's a balancing act. Watch me spin a moon while you're spinning. No collisions, no problems. Everything is balanced. And we're still trying to keep satellites in place. Just a couple hundred pounds. Just to keep them constantly adjusting. And we got this rock that has stayed balanced for thousands of years. How'd that happen? You've seen what happens when a rock is in space and it's not set in orbit. It's called a comet. It's called an asteroid. It's just debris. Somebody had to set it there. Something. It just didn't happen by accident. Well, let's bring it down to where we live. At any given time, there are 1,800 storms in the world, and it requires 1,300,000,000 horsepower to generate those storms every day. 
Wow. Do you know how much destructive power that is? And yet God balances it out so that it helps sustain life on planet Earth. 1,300,000,000 horsepower. Do you realize how fast, if you had that under the hood of your car, how fast you'd go through tires? You wouldn't even get out of first gear. Where did all that horsepower come from and who dispersed it so that it would be constructive, helpful? Hey, let's bring it back to uh, Fauquier County. One inch of rain falling on one acre is equal to 27,154 gallons of water. So when they say we got one inch of rain, that is over 27,000 gallons of water per acre. Free of charge. Totally bypassing the town of Warrington Utilities. <laughs> Fauquier County averages 44 inches of rain per year. That is 1,194,776 gallons of water per acre. For the farmer, God said, here's a donation. It would cost you if, you, if you pump that out of the city a year for, for an acre, it would cost you uh, $11,947. And that's if you didn't use the sewer, but they're going to charge you for the sewer. So that doubles the rate. So now you're paying $23,000 for water and sewage per acre. We couldn't afford to eat. And God says, that's all right. I got plenty. Have it for free. Rains on the just and the unjust. Who knew we needed that amount of water? Who has that kind of water? Who knows when we need it? Who knows how to disperse it? It'd be lousy to get 44 inches all in one shot. God says, that's all right, I can build it in. we got an irrigation system. We can spread it out so it'll do some good. Be constructive. Wow. Next time you rain, next time it rains, think of that. When it rains one inch, if you have a one-acre lot, God just put 27,000 gallons of water on your land and never sent you a bill. Hmm. Wow. Thanks, God. Thanks for the rain. If you're a farmer, thanks for the living, God. <laughs> thanks for the paycheck. Amen? So now it's come down. So what I want you to see is this. You notice I've gone from the universe down to the earth, down to where we live. Let's talk about you. The human heart is about the size of its owner's fist. You have, if you can form a fist, that's about how big your heart is. Weighing less than a pound, the heart can do enough work in 12 hours to lift 65 tons one inch off the ground. If you don't think Ford, GM, Tesla would love to harness that kind of power <laughs> and get that baby under the hood, because that thing's got a warranty of about 80 to 90 years. 
they wouldn't see you in your lifetime. They would love to be able to create something that small, that powerful. And yet they can't. It happens when a child is conceived and gifted with life. Where did that come from? Why can't we reproduce that? Here's a couple other things, and then I'll wrap it up. The human body contains 100,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries. If they laid your arteries out and they laid your veins and all your capillaries, you have 100,000 miles of circulatory system inside your body. That is enough to circle planet Earth four times. And God jam-packed that into your skin. I'm glad God doesn't do Ikea kits. <laughs> Baby, there's 100,000 miles of stuff. How do I know where it's going to go? God packs it all inside of us and has room to spare. And while you've been sitting here, this is my last point. Every second, you've been producing 25, 25 million new cells every second sitting here. Just me saying that phrase, you got 125 million new cells. Isn't it cool that God has built us to be renewed? And whether I'm a follower of Jesus or not, God loves every one of us enough to gift us that. God doesn't say, oh, well, you're not a follower. Well, I'm only going to give you 50,000 miles of circulatory system. Sinner's discount. <laughs> he doesn't say, Come unto me, I'll be laden, and I will give you rest. And by the way, I'll give you this new renewing process. Your cell system will start reproducing. God says, You know what? You've been created in my image. You may or may not serve me but you've been created in my image. I'm going to gift you all this. God says, welcome to my planet. Welcome to my galaxy. Welcome to my world. Welcome to life. Whether you're a follower or not, God says, I give you life. But be aware of things that God has said, stay away from because his judgment is upon those things. And when I choose to embrace something that he is judging, I then receive the judgment. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. And then on top of it, he says, I will send my son to die for your sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God says, I'm going to do everything possible. All you have to do is change your mind.
that's all you got to do. I'll make this so easy. I won't say if you want this, he'll, he, he will die. He's already died so that all that is left with you is a decision. And you know what? That makes serving God so easy. But on top of that, with all that power, I can look at my life and go, there is absolutely nothing God can't do for me in my life. He has the power to heal, the power to change, the power to give me wisdom. He has the power to direct my life. My goodness, if he can keep planet Earth in balance, how much more can he keep me in balance? So that gives me all the confidence of the world. God, I just need the horsepower of one thunderstorm. I'm not asking you to suck all the energy out of the universe to help me here. I could just use the horsepower of one storm to change what's going on in my life. I got all the confidence in the world. He's got it to spare. It matters to God what happens to you. That's what I want you to hear today. You matter. But you have to reach out. And everybody said amen. Let's everybody stand to our feet. Come on. Will you just lift your hands as we wrap up the service? Would you lift your hands up? I want you to praise him for being a God. With everything that is out there, he is interested in you. You. Come on. Praise him for that this morning.